0: and Mediation Clinical Program, I'm Sarah Del Nido-Butish.
1: And I'm Neil McGarrigan, and this is Thanks for Listening, a podcast about bridging the political divide in America. In this episode, we explore the challenge of bridging the divide in a community torn apart by a police shooting that left an innocent black man dead. And a warning to listeners, we will play an audio clip of that encounter that is graphic and some may find disturbing.
0: Our guests today tell a compelling personal story of how dialogue and community engagement can empower people, not only to bridge deep chasms between them, but also to hold space for those times when they may still not see eye to eye and to work together for real healing change. The story tracks one man's evolution from self-described activist whose sole goal was to disrupt and shut things down to a true believer in the power of dialogue to spark change.
1: That man's name is John Thompson. And John was an employee of the St. Paul Public Schools. Um, And where our interview picks up, John describes a conversation he was having with his friend, Philando Castile. John and Philando were discussing Alton Sterling, a 37-year-old black man who had been shot by the police and killed uh, in Baton Rouge that very same day. John joined us via Zoom to tell us his story.
2: I saw Philando on the sixth Sixth. No, the fifth of July. The fifth of July, 2016, and uh, we talked about uh, Alton Sterling. Alton Sterling was murdered. Fifth, and we were so numb about the Alton Sterling murder. I remember that, and nothing's gonna happen to that officer, is what we talked about. Like very fast. Yeah, you know, I saw Philando, and I can remember his last words was, "Man, I love everybody," and I took that for granted. Like, gosh, yeah, whatever.
0: The very next evening, July sixth, 2016. Philando was pulled over by a police officer named Geronimo Yanez. They were in Falcon Heights, Minnesota, a suburb of St. Paul.
1: Sir, I have to
2: tell
0: you, I do have a
1: okay. firearm okay. on okay. Me. Don't do reach like for it then. Pull it out. Not, don't pull it out.
3: Don't pull it out. Don't pull
2: it out! Don't pull it out.
0: It. Philando had been driving with his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, and Diamond's four-year-old daughter, as Philando bled to death, Diamond started streaming a video of the fatal encounter on Facebook Live. John didn't see that video right away.
2: Uh, I woke up in the morning, as I normally do, probably about 5.30 a.m., and Fox News was on, and another police-involved shooting was across the screen, and then it said Philando Castile, and I screamed from the top of my lungs. And I woke up, everybody in my house, Yo, know, I woke they're like they killed phil oh my god like i remember that and everybody's like who the heck is phil in my house i'm like oh my god they killed phil um i didn't go to work that day i didn't go to work that day i I wound up going in later that afternoon i can remember that i wound up going in later that afternoon because i didn't want to leave my boss hanging for the whole day so i went in later that afternoon and uh I got the work van and I was headed to a couple of schools and I passed the governor's mansion and there were thousands of people outside of the governor's mansion. And then what they were saying was being broadcast live in my van on the rail. And I'm thinking, wow. But what I'm hearing is uh, also the media, the media is uh, portraying Philando in a negative light. You know, he had marijuana in the car. He was endangering the lives of the, the the kid in the back seat, and I'm thinking, man, that's not the Philando I just spoke to. You know, the way he was being portrayed in the man. So, uh, fast forward. That's what really brought me out into speaking out about the friend I knew. Like, I wanted people to know my friend loved to play chess. I wanted people to know Philando loved to play the Xbox 360. was like a normal guy you know i mean don't don't victimize philando here because he did nothing wrong everything he did was right i don't want people to know philando had a college degree i mean he graduated from you know. also i wanted people to know philando was pulled over on this stretch of larp to almost 50 something times if i'm I'm not mistaken almost 60-something times on this same stretch of larp so something was bound to happen
1: john started speaking out at protests and rallies from the state house to the governor's mansion Sometimes he would purposely wear his St. Paul Public Schools uniform.
2: Because I wanted him to see that if Philando had on his St. Paul Public Schools uniform, he'd probably be living still today because of the clothes he had on and because of the braids he had in his hair and because of he was profiled and murdered. And I wanted people to, to understand that I purposely came here with this work uniform on so you could see me, I'm a working man, I'm a machinist. I did everything right just like Philando. I have a wife said no's just like Philando. But I'm also a father. I'm i I'm somebody's brother. I'm somebody's uncle. I'm, you know, like and, and, and I don't have to be dressed in a St. Paul public uniform, public schools uniform to, to uh, be respected and be treated. I'm treated a little different when people know that I'm a machinist. And I'm in my machinist uniform, as opposed to me in a Nike jogging suit with, with uh, Nike a Nike cap on and something like that. You know, some of the clothes that we wear, you know, uh, put us right into, uh, you know, everybody's a criminal in your community uh, 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 pool. So I, I purposely went to the microphone and I said that. Actually, I did that twice. The second time I did that, I, I, I put on the, the smock. That, that Philando wore. I put on the St. Paul Public School smock. And I put it on to tell people that if he had this on when he was pulled over, he probably would have been treated a little different. But because he didn't have it on, he fit right in with the pool of people who are, you know, everybody's a criminal in the community. Everybody looks like this should be treated like this. He fit and i tried I tried to do that and it was well received, like people understood what I was saying. like honestly, he would still be here today.
0: What are some of the other things that you did that summer and and maybe beyond to speak out about this how do how 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 else did you get involved as an activist?
2: I showed up to everything like anything and everything that I could uh shut down.
0: Mm.
2: everything considered a check in the box meeting. I was there to make sure they didn't check that box. I was make I was there to make sure that the body that was was performing what I called an act to make sure that they knew that I, I wasn't gonna leave. I was gonna keep applying pressure. I was gonna put my foot on the neck and apply pressure throughout the state, not just in the city of St. Paul. Like, I would show up to Falcon Heights City Council meetings. I would show up to St. Anthony City Council meetings. I would show up to the state capitals. I would show up to the governor's house. I would show up to the mayor's home.
0: To give a sense of what this was like, we found some footage of John and others at a subcommittee meeting at the Minnesota State House.
2: You shut down highways, uh, light rail shutdowns, uh, die-ins in the middle of the street. I mean, everything that you could possibly think of to let people know that this is unacceptable here. You don't care about us! Shame on you! you! You shut I wanted people to know that I was angry. I'm very angry. And I wanted people to know that I have over 2,500 people that are very angry also. You know, the numbers grew at any given time. And I wanted them to know we weren't going anywhere until they gave us a, a solution to this to this injustice. And at that point, honestly, we just wanted Officer Yanez to be tried. Uh, we wanted him to be charged. We wanted to be charged with something.
1: As the protests continued, a law professor in nearby Minneapolis was paying very close attention. Sharon Press teaches at the Mitchell Hamlin School of Law and she directs the school's Dispute Resolution Institute. Sharon had received a grant from the American Arbitration Association's ICDR Foundation, the same foundation that funds this podcast. They gave Sharon a grant to launch a project called Making Talk Work. The goal of the project is to build healthier, stronger communities through dialogue. Overwhelmed by the upheaval in Falcon Heights, the mayor of the town, Peter Lindstrom, reached out to Sharon and other community organizers for help. Sharon joined our conversation with John Thompson via Zoom.
3: So the group of us got together to talk through what what might the city do to um, move forward. And ultimately, what was decided was that there would be two parallel things that would happen. There would be a task force that the city would create. They would take applications from the residents of Falcon Heights, um, try to get as many diverse opinions at the table to actually look at the data and review and make recommendations to the city council about the path forward. And this data point was important because one of the things that was, that came out, as John said, Philando had been pulled over 50, 60 times on this one stretch. And it wasn't just Philando Castile. It was, everyone who was Mm african-american it was a dangerous part to just be you know the the old saying driving while black that was a problem in that particular area but the city council the white residents of falcon heights they didn't know that and they didn't have any data to support that this was going on even though the the whole African American community knew, oh, that's not a place you want to be driving. So that was a that was a big piece of the task force. Parallel to that, we decided that we would run uh, a series of community conversations to help the community transition from being feeling angry and helpless and hopeless to interacting with the task force and ultimately coming through the other end in, um, with a positive direction of where to go.
0: And how did you think about what those community conversations might look like?
3: Ultimately, we settled on five different community conversations uh, that, that took people through um, first looking at personal and community values then looking at how Falcon Heights lives out those particular community values, um, both in terms of activities, poli- uh, policies and policing, policies and practices. And then the third one, uh, at that point, the task force had developed in preliminary recommendations around policing So they brought that to the community conversation and there were some conversations and feedback that went back to the task force from the community. The fourth one was what's needed for transformational change and personal commitments. And then the last one was to be this commemoration of the work accomplished and developments of next steps. The fifth one ended up having a bit of a challenge that got thrown into the mix because the last one was supposed to be June 19th, and on June 16th, so three days before the last one, Officer Yanez, who was ultimately charged um, and brought up on criminal charges, was acquitted. And needless to say, it reactivated the community. There was great disappointment and an upset around that. And so we needed to sort of manage and deal with um, all of the emotions that surfaced with that before people were really in a place to want to close things down.
0: So there was this incredibly disruptive development just days before the final scheduled conversation. The story of how that fifth conversation went could probably be an episode in and of itself. What we're especially interested in is a moment long before that when John was wrestling with whether to attend any of the conversations.
2: When they decided to put together the task force. There was a lot of activists that were upset because they said the people of Falcon Heights aren't the people who are being affected by these these routine traffic stops, these these DWB stops, we'll call them.
1: that driving <laughs> like the, while driving while black,
2: right? Okay. The the city of Falcon Heights, the residents weren't the ones that were being affected, and so we felt left out, like. You know, you're just going to get the same white people here in Falcon Heights who are actually watching us being pulled over to be a part of this task force. And Melanie Leahy was one of the people working with the city of Falcon, one of the, working with the city of Falcon Heights.
1: Melanie Leahy was at that time the executive director of Community Renewal for the Greater Twin Cities and also one of the co-chairs of the task force on policing and inclusion that Sharon described.
2: Um, she would always call me especially after my mom died, she would always call and check on me. And uh, some of the activists would always tell me, man, stop talking to her, she's one of them. <laughs> and uh, one day I was at the uh, the city council meeting and Melanie pulled me to the side and said, I need to talk to you. And sure enough, one of the activists grabbed me and said, stop talking to her. She's one of. She's hired to silence the crowd. And so she pulled me over to the side and said, no, I just want to pray with you.
1: Hmm.
2: And she said, I want to pray with you. You lost a lot this year, and I need to pray with you. That's what she said. Uh, God told me to make sure that I grabbed your hands and pray with you today, and I'm not leaving until I pray with you. And so she took me over in the corner, and she prayed with me. I said, people that have an agenda don't pray with you. They don't pull you to the side. (laughs) Like, that's not... You know, like I, have, I felt the connection. Like my mom was grabbing my hands wow. <laughs> from through Melanie. She was speaking to me through Melanie, and she actually, I still feel that. You know, sometimes it's scary when I see. My- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes it's scary, but I don't want to. I don't want to go. But but that was like someone who I I had built the relationship with, and I wasn't gonna let the activist community take. Like that was like something special for me. But fast forward to the task force meetings, like that was still like a no, I'm not going to that because we're not involved in the in the the community conversations. We weren't involved in the task force. So now you're inviting us to Falcon Heights to so like you guys already know what we're going through. Why are you gonna invite us to a church to spill out? we just want you to stop doing it to us. We know you know what that's that was our message. And I stuck with it. But Melanie would call and I say, Mel, I'm not going. And she called for the next one and I said, Melody, I'm not going. It's just a check in the box. Melody would call and then Philando's mom called me and she said, John, you need to go to this meeting. There's two left. I've been the one. Hmm. She said, told me to tell you to get up and go to the meeting. And so I went to the meeting. The, the, it was one of the last two community conversations so I went up sitting with mayor, the mayor of the city of Falcon Heights, uh, Peter Lindstrom. I sat at the table with those guys. And the mayor starts talking, and then he starts crying. And he said, I don't know what the F to do. I've never had anybody murdered in my backyard. I said, I became the mayor to make a difference in the community. I became the mayor because I saw things that I wanted to see change. Like he and he, he was actually like not scared for the first time. It's like we scared him a lot. So he kind of shelled up when we showed up to the city council meetings. But now I'm sitting across the table from this guy who's not the mayor. He's like somebody's dad. He's he's uh he's someone who I could see a cup Foods buying a rotisserie chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's not a he's not the the manager of this city, he's actually like telling me, John, I have no idea what to do, but he said, I'm here with the community because I have things I want to see done. You have things you want to see done and we're going to do it together. And when he said that, I'm like, okay. Like it was like an eye opened. I've never seen this. Just keep in mind. I've never been, in a situation where I would have to be this close to a mayor ever in my life but I was just yelling at the mayor 2 days ago and I said my friend's blood is on your hands and we were standing at his house a few days before that like we were in his grass all of us we didn't care about his lawn and then I actually saw how wrong I was like I'm I'm he shouldn't be treated like this is what I was thinking like Honestly, I shouldn't, like, he had nothing to do with it. And as a matter of fact, if now I'm thinking Philando was murdered by a St. Anthony police officer who actually started trailing Philando in St. Anthony. He just happened to get pulled over in Falcon Heights. And all of us are yelling at the mayor of Falcon Heights. Like, I, I honestly saw the mayor doing exactly what he had been saying he was going to do at the city council meetings it was like so you know it was an instant buy in for me after that like
1: you know yeah i mean i, I sharon maybe for you I, I i assume that's something that you strive for in a setting like this that's the idea of the conversations and i um you know i wonder so how do you how did you get there how did you get to the point where you were able to have people in the same room uh you know john just told his his experience was 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 one way that he got brought in and took a personal call several personal calls from people associated with the process and then from Philando's mom, but what was your challenge, Sharon, of getting people in the room together? And then secondly, once people are in the room, what do you do to help them have those kind of transformative moments where they see each other as as human beings and not as you know enemies or soundbites?
3: It wasn't a challenge to get people because there were lots of people in Falcon Heights who were hungry for a conversation and were desperate to try to figure out what could be done. Um, But as John alluded to, Falcon Heights is primarily a a very Caucasian uh, city. And so the challenge was really getting a diverse group of people there because that's ultimately what everyone wanted. They didn't want to just have an echo chamber conversation. They wanted to talk to people. And so early on a decision was made that when we said community conversations, it would not be exclusive to Falcon Heights. And so we advertised broadly and uh, Melanie was on a mission to bring in John and to bring in as many people that she had had contact with during the, the protest at the uh, city council meetings. So there was a real, Effort made. I want to mention one other person that John mentioned, and that's um, uh, Associate Professor Raj sethraju who is um, Associate Professor at Metropolitan State, and he did, is in the School of Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice, and he is well known in um, the African American communities. He's an activist himself. Mm-hmm. Um, And he's also very involved in restorative practices and circle processes. And so we thought it was important for our planning committee for him to be included as well, uh, both for his expertise and for his access. Ultimately, I mean, there was a little bit of tension between how to run the meetings because we we decided on these five meetings, we wanted to have some part of each meeting That was everyone all together. And so we opted to have both the very beginning of each meeting and the very end of each meeting to be everyone who attended together. But the middle portion was going to be in groups of about eight in a circle with two facilitators who were volunteers from the community at large.
1: So one of the things you had just said, and I don't have, I don't want to 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 divert you, but uh, you mentioned facilitators, two per each, two per group. Were these people that um, were volunteers, and you gave them some some training to help them understand sort of the role that they were to play and and, and how to serve as facilitators?
3: Right. So the the people that we utilized came from two different lists. One were uh, volunteers with the community dispute resolution program. And then another group that had done some facilitation training. So they all had a baseline of facilitation training. We then did another training for everybody who was going to volunteer. And then at the start of each session, the the facilitators showed up about a half hour in advance, and we would uh, walk them through the agenda for the evening what questions that they were each to ask in the circle how to organize their circle and just do a little refresher and pair them up because they didn't necessarily know who they would be working with. One person in each of the circles took the lead on facilitating and the second person um, recorded notes because we were trying to capture uh, what were the responses so that we could both frame up the next session and also um, when we came back together We tried to do some synthesizing of what had been what had come out of the conversation that night.
0: Sharon, can you give us a sense of what what you learned, Um, what came out of these conversations, both on a um, maybe in a moment, we'll get to the, the sort of the substantive level. What I know you did a evaluation of the sessions. What did you learn from from the feedback that you got about these conversations?
3: So one of the one of the things that was most encouraging about it was that that people changed in terms of their, of sort of their emotional state of when they started the conversations and how they left. And, and that was something that we were really hoping for. So specifically, um, participants reported feeling more optimistic and trusting and less cynical, sad, and angry after having participated in the conversations. There there also was this mixed finding of being both more energized and also more fatigued after the conversations, and I I sort of understand that. I think that there was a sense of people feeling a bit more connected and and better about directions and, and wanting to move forward. And also feeling somewhat emotionally drained because it, it was a challenging period of time for everyone. I want to
0: round out our time together with with your reflections, John. You know, you had at least a, a moment in these in these conversations that were it sounds like was incredibly powerful for you on a personal level in terms of a shift that you felt. Um, give us a sense of, you know, after the community conversations, what changed or what changed did you feel in your community? And also for you personally, how was this experience kind of a launching point to the work that you're doing now?
2: After Philando was murdered, I wanted stuff to happen right now. Like, I want you to do this now. And I... I can vividly remember uh, Melanie said, "John, you can't walk in the building." And no, she said, "You can't, uh, you can't grab Monopoly, play Monopoly, and just pour the pieces out on the table. You need to know the how to. You need to know how to play Monopoly. So I, I'm gonna need you to read the instructions. It's something like that." No, she said, "You need to read the instructions. So I want to show you how to play Monopoly," is what she said. Mm-hmm. And um, I can remember walking into one of the meetings, one of the last meetings, and it was like. Everybody's John, John, what is it that what is it that you want on this recommendation board? Like I want you to get rid of the St. Anthony Police Department. And then it was like everybody in the room wanted to get rid of the St. Anthony Police Department. And then like a few weeks later there were RF, RFPs from the city. So my eyes were wide open, like, yeah, they're actually doing exactly what the community wants and everything that i've been saying how we can do it together is starting to like show its face and so like then i started realizing that this this not the only the only problem like there's there's problems in in legislation there's problems in the decisions that city council makes there's problems in our school board you know there's problems that like these problems that created the situation for Philando. Um, there was an anti-protest bill, and I can remember that. There was an anti-protest bill here by um, Nick Zerwals, a legislator here, Republican legislator Nick Zerwals. And I can remember going to the hearing and testifying against this bill, but I'm yelling at Nick Zerwas and telling him this bill is directly aimed at protesters and you're this racist guy from Elk River and I'm yelling at Nick Zerwas. And this is, um. just fast forward to now, Nick Zerwas is a co-author on my bill. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's a big change. <laughs> how, how, did, how did that shift happen? <laughs> I walked in and I asked Nick, to I like, co-author my bill and he says, "John, you can't come in here 2 years ago and yell at me and call me this and 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 then 2 years later you asked me to co-author your bill." And then Nick says to me, "But John, had you not came to my office and came to my hearing and yelled at me and 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 yo, know, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now." So he said, to hell with the anti-protest bill, John. I agree, we need this bill right here to pass. It's gonna help a lot of youth here. You know, and let's work on what we can agree upon. That's probably the shift because I was I was angry, right? And then now it's like, I'm making a difference, man. Least I say that again, man, making a difference. I was angry and I would, but I would always go back. And that's just because of Peter Lindstrom and what I experienced with the task force, like, okay, some of these legislators do need to have their bubble bust. Some of these city council, I mean, because they go to work and it's like a routine, we sign papers. And, you know, at some point you gotta realize we need to be a, a proactive instead of reactive all the time. And so a lot of times I would go in and yell at people about stuff that didn't make sense about you know, if it didn't make sense for my community, yeah, I would probably yell at you. We'd have a press conference. They say I'm the angry black man. You know, but I'm trying to prevent not only another Philando, but I'm trying to prevent a lot of uh, systematic stuff that has been happening sick, since my father was my age. You know, and I guess that's the transition that I got out of out of. Uh, just these community conversations and the the Falcon Heights task force because I knew nothing about this process. And it's like still on the job training for me right now. But it's more, um, you know, it's more, I don't have to worry about showing up for police involved shootings and showing up and and, uh, and shutting stuff down. Now I'm to the point now where I can just make a phone call Mm -hmm. to the same people who I used to yell at. So, yell at the ones that need to be yelled at, and then go back and tell them this is why I yelled at you. And so, I guess that's my 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 from activism to activated story. I'm gonna stick with it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, what what has changed? It sounds like is just you've been doing a lot of the work around relationship building and laying the groundwork for connection that that really wasn't there at least wasn't there in the same way before.
2: Yeah, you know, it was like it was like um I think Sharon and those guys were putting together a soup. And I, hmm. I, I don't like carrots. And so they just started grating <laughs> the carrots up. <laughs> they started grating the carrots up and making them real fine. So I didn't know I was eating carrots. <laughs> I did not know I was eating carrots. And then sooner or later they're like, John, surprise, we had carrots in the salad. I mean in the soup. And like I really like carrots. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I I make sense with my analogy.
3: (laughs) In times of crisis, relationships are everything and that's what's going to make the difference and so for me one of the most profound uh things that came out of the community conversations was the wonderful relationship with my good friend john thompson who i did not know
2: before nope. any of this no nope, so. i did not know Sharon. <laughs> i don't think there's a, a a chief in this state who doesn't know who john thompson is right and I think that a lot of times they're asking me to come and to talk and have the same conversation and how did it work. And, you know, when when I go and I have these conversations, I, I actually say we did it together. Like, honestly, we had to buy in, and it works. Like a lot of problems I have now, I saw so them over a cup of coffee. <laughs> a lot of problems. So, and, and I, and I, I definitely uh, know that it's because I came to, uh, to a lot of these uh soup parties I didn't <laughs> want to come to. <laughs> you, know, you know, had I not, you probably wouldn't have this John Thompson. Like I would, I would think that um shutting stuff down will get stuff done. I didn't know how this stuff worked, you know, but I, I'm glad because it is it is evolved into more than I would have ever like I actually know my purpose in life. How about that? I know my, I, I can leave you with that. Like, I actually know what my purpose in life is on this earth. And that is to, to bring these conversations and to have these conversations and to bring people together. Like, I make people hug each other. You know, like, if I walk in a room, I make people hug. But to have these conversations and and to facilitate these type of, uh, uh um before something like a Philando happens in your community. Uh, that's my
1: purpose. Well, John I, I, and Sharon too, I wish you both were here in the studio so that we could close with an actual hug. But <laughs> Me too. Uh, I, no, I really do. And um, It's a beautiful image to um, to think of and, and to realize that there is something to be said for um, engaging with each other. Um, there's also something to be said for activism and shouting when it has its place. And yeah. um, it does. And there's also a place for engagement. And it sounds like um the work that you all did together um out of this terrible tragedy has led to something that is um incredibly valuable and positive and um is something that can be a model for a lot of other communities as you say john before the next valendo happens
0: so thank you so very much for for sharing with us and for this time yeah thanks
3: so much for for inviting us it was uh always always um great to talk about these things and to share the news
1: John, and for so many others, direct action was necessary after Philando Castile's death. The speeches at the governor's mansion, the rallies, shutting down the city council meetings, all of these protests shined a light on the critical long-simmering injustices that literally resulted in a man's death. Their activism brought the community face-to-face with deeply painful issues.
0: Sharon's choice to organize spaces for the community to talk with one another in a structured way wasn't an obvious one, and it certainly wasn't easy. It took a lot of deliberate effort, a diverse planning team, and even after extending invitations to people like John, there was no guarantee that a diverse mix of people would show
1: up. But John finally did show up, and when he did, for him, the nature of the conflict between his activist community and city leaders completely changed. John realized that his view of Mayor Lindstrom had always been from behind a bullhorn, but sitting next to him at the table during the community conversations, he saw something completely different. The vulnerability that the mayor showed in that moment also opened up something different in John, and it continues to affect the way he approaches problems today. For him, dialogue was the beginning, not the end.
0: In the weeks and months following that final community conversation, Falcon Heights terminated its contract with the St. Anthony Police Department, and instead negotiated a new contract with the Ramsey County Sheriff's Office based on a set of expectations collaboratively developed in the community. In 2017, John founded an organization, Fight for Justice LLC, to support his community engagement outreach and his activism. Melanie Leahy, the co-chair of the task force who worked so hard to get John to come to the community conversations, is now on the city council. The community is changing.
1: Even so, this isn't necessarily a story that can be tied up with a bow. The task force and community conversations in Falcon Heights were ultimately reactive to a particular moment of crisis, and that in turn led to the community dialogues. But is it possible to lay the groundwork for strong relationships and connections within a community without some precipitating event? Sharon and her colleagues had been working before Philando Castile was killed to try and drum up energy in various communities to engage in dialogue. They found it was difficult to get people involved. Can this work really be done proactively? That's the question we'll be examining on our next episode.
0: This podcast was made possible by a grant from the American Arbitration Association's International Center for Dispute Resolution Foundation.
1: Thanks so much also to our editor, Kate Ellis, and to the folks at the Harvard Media Production Center where we do our recording. Theme music is made available to us courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions.
0: And we want to thank our colleague Tracy Blanchard for her indispensable help.
1: If you'd like to hear more about anything that we spoke about on today's show, please take a look at our website, hnmcp.law.harvard.edu slash podcast. And there you'll find a transcript of today's show and many other resources that relate to what we talked about.
0: And thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, as always, thanks for listening.